good to see everybody. I have to say, it is fun to do this, especially on days like today. And um, so I say happy Resurrection Day to you today. The early Christians on this day would greet each other with the words, does anybody know? That's one of them. He is risen. But even further back, like in the first, second, third century, they greet each other with these words. Christus, Nike. Christus, of course, is the word for Christ. Nike, from which we get Nike, is the word for victory. Jesus is the victor. Jesus wins. Amen? He wins. We've already done a couple of baptisms this morning, and this morning, if that's something that God puts on your heart, that maybe today for the first time you'd like to give your life to Christ, or maybe you've wandered a long way, and today God calls you back to himself, and you would just like to put a stake in the ground and uh, be rebaptized. something that our church does. All you need to do is make your way back there. There's Brad and Steve. Uh, They'll greet you. Don't let the fact that you don't have a change of clothes get in the way because we have everything covered for you, okay? Um, Just make your way back there at any time today if God puts that in your heart. All right, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1. And if you have a Bible like mine, you can turn there. This is found on page 753 in this kind of Bible. And if you were here... Hearing Neil over the last couple of weeks, he started this thing off. And what we're doing here is we're getting away from our King series and we're kind of giving you a little bit of a bonus feature by looking at a prophet. Because the prophets play such a prominent role during this this part of the story. And the prophets, like the kings, either point us to the prophet, the king, Jesus, when they're good... In who Jesus was, but when they're bad, they point us to what Jesus isn't. So, Neil already looked at how Jonah points us to what Jesus isn't. Today, I'm going to look at the positive side, how Jonah points us to who Jesus was and what he did. And if you're wondering what this has to do with Easter, just trust me, it has everything to do with Easter. So, Jonah chapter 1, please stand for the reading of God's word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying for the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Literally, it reads, God hurled. God hurled this great wind. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. 
Maybe he will take notice of us, so we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you because of me. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly, greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is God's word. You can be seated. This whole chapter here hangs on the Hebrew word yare. Yare is a word that we translate as fear. This chapter begins with this word in verse 5. It ends with this word in verse 16. And then also this word is right in the middle in verse 10 because this whole chapter is about fear. Now, I think if we're honest this morning, every person in this room right now can relate to this word fear. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're rich, if you're poor. I don't care if you're strong, if you're weak. I don't care if you're religious or irreligious. Very few people today are immune from fear. When you think about it, fear is an appropriate response to life, to life circumstances. I mean, think of all the things that cause people to be afraid. There's the fear of possessing enough. Then there's the fear of losing what we possess. There's the fear of the unknown. There's the fear of failure. There's the fear of letting people down, especially those who we love. There's the fear of rejection. There's the fear of not being liked and accepted. There's the fear of dying. And then, there's the fear of the storm. 
The storm are those circumstances of life that just kind of come out of left field, that they, they come, they hit us, they devastate us, they show us how vulnerable we really are, they show us how powerless we really are. In fact, look at verses 4 and 5 of our text. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, and all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. I mean, picture this, this raging sea. Can you see this boat being pounded by the waves? These guys are desperately trying to survive. Now, this is kind of hard for us because we don't travel by sea anymore. So, consider this. Consider a little turbulence on an airplane. How do you respond? You know, probably for most of you, this is just nothing. Not me. (laughs) I'm serious. You would be embarrassed to know me if you saw me on an airplane sometimes. (laughs) There have literally been times. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't just this. This is when the plane's doing this, okay? I'm literally clinging to the seat next to me that's open to me with all my might. I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I don't even care what what Kate, my youngest daughter, is like. She's laughing at me. Because it's such a helpless feeling. You have absolutely no control. That's the storm. It's those circumstances in life that they hit us, they threaten us, they hurt us. They knock us off our feet. They knock us off balance. Or we feel we have no control. And these storms, they come in various shapes, various sizes. They come from all different directions. And they can hit us at any moment. And some of you are there right now. Now, without sounding overly morbid this morning... I really believe our world today is a storm. It's a raging storm. The Bible refers to this as the tahom. We translate this word the deep. It's the deep that needs to first be be, uh, subdued and, and tamed at creation. It's the deep that then covers the whole earth in the flood. It's the deep that needs to be parted at the Red Sea. The psalmist describes it this way. In Psalm 69, he says, I sink in the miry depths where there's no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep, from the deep waters. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth on me. Does that describe you today? I think sometimes we forget that that our world is a threatening deep because we live at a point in history when we've been able to harness and control so much of life, whether it's because of our wealth or our ingenuity or our planning 
or our influence or our technology. We have great means today that give us this pseudo sense that we're in control when we're really not. Now notice this in verse 4. Who unleashes the storm? God does. God hurls the storm. Just like God in this chapter will also appoint a great fish. And then later God will appoint a vine to grow. And then later he'll cause a worm to eat the vine. And still later God will appoint a scorching east wind. Now I don't know what you do with this and how this hits you. But God is the one who hurls the storm. Because this is the way God is going to come to Jonah. God is coming to Jonah in the storm and through the storm. And not just Jonah, but God's also coming to the sailors through the storm. In fact, think about this. It's through the storm that these sailors, who at the end of this chapter, come to know the one true God. It's the storm. God's the one who sometimes sends us into the storm. God's the one who hurls the storm. And we should be asking, why does God do this? Why? I'm going to say this right at the outset. God is not trying to hurt us. He's trying to help us. And some of you are, are, are left asking, well, why does it have to be a storm? Couldn't it be something else? No, because at the end of the day, I think only the storm is the thing that's going to expose us. Only the storm will reveal who we really are and what we really trust. Only the storm is going to reveal our real God, our real Lord and Savior. In fact, look at verse 5. The sailors, it says, cried out to their gods. I mean, this is what the storm does to us. The storm shows us our desperation. It shows us our need. It causes us to cry out. It causes us to look to something beyond ourselves, beyond our own means, to something that's beyond us that we hope can save us. I like how some people sometimes say, well, you know, so-and-so isn't really acting like their normal self right now. Just... Just wait for the storm to pass and they will return to normal. And I think to myself, uh, no. That's not how it is because the real you is who you are when you're knocked down and knocked off your feet. When the luxuries of life don't provide you the luxury of pretense. It's the storm. And in the storm, when we get to see who we really are, what we really believe, what it is that we really trust, who our real God is. The storm. And see, this is why the sailors are crying out to their gods. Because it was a polytheistic world at this point in time. In other words, they didn't believe in one eternal God who created all things, who was in control of all things, but rather what, what they believed is that every 
material created thing could be worshipped. The sun, the sea, sport, sex, business. All of these things in a polytheistic mindset were gods. So you had the sex god, you had the business god, you had the sport god, and it was up to you to decide what god it is that you were to worship. It's Romans 1 verse 25 where it says they exchanged the truth of God for, for a lie and they, re, they worship created things instead of the creator of all things, the one true God. Now this might sound primitive to you, but I'm going to tell you something. I believe this is our world today. This is Grand Rapids. Because you might not right now carry a little statue around in your back pocket or you might even today not proclaim a belief in God at all. But here's the deal. Everyone here this morning worships something. We all right now place our hope in something. We all derive our sense of meaning, our identity from something. We've all right now placed our trust in something. And your real God is not what you pay lip service to. Your real God is whatever you've made the center of your life. It's what you turn to in the storm. That's your real God. So let me ask this question in the storm. What do you turn to? What is it that you cling to? What is it that you cry out to? And I'm here to tell you today that anything besides God won't save you. Your career won't save you. Your money won't save you. Your status won't save you. Your accomplishments won't save you. Any material finite thing, I don't even care if it's your spouse, your family, your friends, they can't save you. You know why? Because they sink with you. They're in the boat with you. And when you cry out to them, they can't help you. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't find joy in material finite things and experience a deep sense of remorse and sadness when we lose this. But there's a big difference between loving something, whether it be a career, an achievement, your children, and then making that thing your God. Because let's say right now that a storm comes along and wipes out my job. No one say amen to that. (laughs) I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be incredibly sad. But if this job is my life, if it's my God, when that storm comes and my job sinks, I sink with it. See, a life built on material finite things leaves one utterly defenseless against the storm. And that's why in verses 5 to 6, you see these guys. In fact, let's just uh, read these verses. 
It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, and all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below the deck where, where he lay down, where he fell into a deep sleep. Just cracks me up. And the captain went to him and, and said to him, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your gods, because maybe they will take notice of us, and we will not perish. In other words, this is what's going on. These guys are crying out to their gods, but it's having no effect. So then they go and they find Jonah, and of course he's sleeping in the bow of the ship, and they say, come on, man, get up. You need to cry out to to your God, because our gods, they're not working. Then the text says that they cast lots. Why do they do this? Well, this is their religion. Maybe the gods will show us who is to blame for this storm. So then the lots fall on Jonah. Immediately then it becomes, okay, Jonah, who are you? Who is your God? What is it, Jonah, that you've done to offend him? And I love Jonah's answer at this point. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh. My God is the one who is creator of all things. He made the heavens and the earth. In fact, this is his kind of tongue-in-cheek way of saying what little kids say on the playground, my dad is a lot stronger than your dad. My God is the creator and ruler of all things, including the storm. In fact, the word for worship there, when he says, I'm a Hebrew, I worship Yahweh. In Hebrew, this is that word, Yareh, which is the word for what? Fear. I Fear Yahweh. In other words, I don't fear the storm because I fear him. In fact, this is what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 8. He says to his people, do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. And by the way, when I read that, I just think of all the people today who are doing this, calling conspiracy here, conspiracy here. I mean, fear-mongering is at its all-time high right now. Isaiah says, do not call conspiracy everything that, th- that this people calls a conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Do you fear him today? See, the reason why Isaiah says this is because two chapters before, where is he? He's in the presence of God. And he says... I saw him. And in that experience, he says, woe is me. He comes out of it thinking, I should have died when I saw the Lord. He's like, how how can we fear broken economies and, and Assyrians and a world going to rot or personal loss? I've seen him. I've seen him. Do you fear him today? I 
Now, I don't know what you think about Jonah sleeping in the storm. But I know another person in the Bible who also slept in a storm. And maybe you're asking, like the sailors are asking, well, how is it that Jonah can sleep? I'll tell you how Jonah can sleep. Jonah fears Yahweh. And when you and I fear him as Lord, as the creator, as the ruler of all things, we will not fear the storm. In fact, we will sleep in the storm. I think you know by now that names in the Bible mean something. They help tell the story. Take Noah, for instance. Does anyone know what Noah's name means? His name means rest. Thank you. So when the world is covered with the tahom, the deep, when it's leashed upon the whole earth, you see Noah. You see Mr. Rest. Just resting to the storm. See, and when you and I fear the storm, it's probably because we don't fear him. What is your storm right now? Can you rest? Can you sleep? Knowing that your God is creator of all things, that he has the whole world in his hands, including you, and not a hair will fall from your head without him knowing about it. See, if you're wondering why there's so much fear today, it's because there's so little fear of God today. Fear him. It's the beginning of wisdom. And in fearing him... You fear nothing else. Now notice the response to what Jonah tells them in, in verse 10. It says, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. They're terrified. They're no longer terrified of the storm. Now they're terrified of what? Or who? The Lord. More specifically, they're terrified of the justice of God. It's God's justice that causes them to be afraid. Because Jonah is rebelling against God. And their theology is this. Holy God plus disobedience equals storm. Do you believe that? Holy God plus disobedience equals storm. Now part of me is, is, is afraid to ask that right now because I'm scared you're going to say no. But I'm going to tell you this morning, the sailors are right because God says, I will not let the guilty go unpunished. I will punish the children and then their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. And we have such a gutless theology today. We have such a soft view of God. God is holy. And his divine justice demands. It absolutely demands that someone must pay for every sin. 
And see, Jonah knows this. That's why in verse 12 he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And why does Jonah say this? Well, some of you know the book very well, and you might think, well, it's because Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh. And I think there's some truth to this, but I think a lot more is going on because Jonah, like the sailors, understands full well the justice of God, and he knows that he's running from God. Worse than that, he's rebelling, blatantly rebelling against God. And this is why he says, throw me into the sea. It's my fault that this storm has come on you. And see, what we have for the first time in this story is that Jonah is starting to think of someone other than himself. He realizes in this situation that these these sailors are for the most part innocent and that this just isn't right. This isn't fair. You guys shouldn't be dying for me. I'm the one to blame here. I should be dying for you. I mean, it's just like Judah with Tamar. This is my fault. I'm the one to blame. Throw me in. In verse 15, it says they took Jonah, they threw him into the sea, and the raging sea grew calm. God accepted Jonah's sacrifice. And then you have verse 16, which should be a bit shocking. Because now it says about the sailors, they weren't just afraid. They were greatly afraid. (laughs) Of what? It's calm! The storm's gone! They just experienced grace. They just experienced a man who was willing to give up his life for their life, willing to be a a substitute who would die so that they could be saved. Throw me in. And see, it's because of Jonah's sacrifice. I mean, just picture this. Can you see the wind dying? Can you see the clouds breaking? Can you see the sky becoming blue? Can you see the sun now shining on their faces? God brings shalom. And see, these these sailors didn't experience just the grace of Jonah, but the grace of God through Jonah. And this is why their fear of the storm is replaced with mega fear. And this is a different kind of fear. It's, it's, it's just being in awe. It's being stunned. It's being in this state of wonder at God's grace. We read the same story in the Gospels. Disciples one day are out in the middle of a great storm and Jesus, like Jonah, is asleep, but Of course, Jesus is one greater than Jonah, and he is the one now that stands up and he shows his place in the universe as the Lord and ruler of all things. And he 
he stands up and he just rebukes the storm and becomes perfectly calm. Peace. And the text says at that moment, the disciples' fear of the storm, it was replaced with, with mega fear. Who is this? And we didn't even deserve it. But he was so gracious. See, the thing that will elicit the most fear and awe is grace. The songwriter said, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." It's God's grace. In Psalm 130, David says this. He says, "'With you, O Lord, there is forgiveness. There's grace. There's mercy. Therefore, I fear you.'" And see, it's this fear of God that casts out fear. It's this this awe and wonder at God's grace and who he is and, and what he's done for us. And see, if these sailors could have this kind of fear, how much more are we today? Because Jesus says in Matthew 12, when the religious leaders are asking for a sign Jesus, prove to us who you are. Prove to us who you are. Jesus responds. He says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the, in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. For behold, one greater than Jonah is here. Do you know what Jonah's name means? Dove. What's dove the symbol of in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. And what do we see God's Spirit in the Bible doing over and over again? We see the Spirit descending into the chaos, into the storm, and bringing life. That creation, God's Spirit, hovered like a dove over the deep. And what came forth was order and life and beauty. And then later... When the deep again covered the earth, Noah sent the dove into it. And what did it bring back? It brought back life. And still later, when God's people are between the Egyptian army and the deep, 